From all corners of the globe to your ears, it's the Midnight Movie Cowboys. Sometimes informative, sometimes controversial, but always unpredictable. It's the Midnight Movie Cowboys podcast with your hosts, Hunter, John, and Stu. And now, on with the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Midnight Movie Cowboys. I am Hunter and in the Rocky Mountain High of Colorado, we've got Mr. John Gray. Say hello, John. Hello. No Stuart this week. Stuart's gone. We killed him. We staked him through the heart. He's dead. Cap- Captain Kronos <laughs> killed him. The he movie... he uh, rang the bells. The bells were ringing, and then we, we got him. Yes. So this week, we are talking about Hammer, uh, the Hammer film, Captain Kronos. Vampire Hunter, directed by Avengers scribe, a guy you're a big Brian fan Clemens. of, John. Brian Clemens. His only feature film yeah. that he directed. What the heck? Yes, the only thing, only time he ever directed anything. I think he did an episode of Shooting Gallery or Night. What was it? Uh, hold on. Let me, let me see. Let me see. He did an episode of Shooting Gallery. That's Shooting according gallery? to IMDb. Uh, okay, maybe- yeah. It's probably accurate. Let's see. Um, no, we're we're checking our IMDb's here. <laughs> yeah, just just double checking. Good Lord, but he wrote a lot. He wow, wrote a lot, see. man. He wrote Avengers. He wrote Watcher in the Woods for Disney. He wrote Highlander Two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else did he write? He wrote a lot of stuff. Uh, he wrote episodes of Thriller uh he wrote most episodes of thrill the thriller he wrote was a show he created which is an anthology suspense show it's not related to the boris karloff oh okay Uh, well this is the british thriller or thriller uk or whatever they want to call it you know um but yeah he wrote for every major uh every major british detective action series i mean he's got a script in there and and uh he wrote the richard fleischer thriller see no evil starring a very young mia farrow yeah, he wrote and soon the darkness said to be a terrific suspense film. I've got a Blu-ray that I bought from Kino Lorber, still haven't watched it. I need to. Um, he wrote Golden Voyage of Sinbad, which most people think is the best written Ray Harryhausen uh, film, and I would agree with that. Um, he wrote uh, a lot of stuff for American TV. Like he was just one of those guys you could just call him up, tell him you could pay him for a script, and he'd have a script for you for your show like right away. He's just that type of pro. Uh, they don't seem to exist anymore. Uh, in the business now everybody's an auteur yeah, Brian Clemens everybody... is the type of guy wonderful contribution to what he did for the Avengers he made that show the the way we know it today you know if you watch the early Avengers when he wasn't in control it's it's really not the same show mm-hmm. and he kind of shaped it into what it became and um it's it's like uh but he also could just do a solid script if you needed a, a Perry Mason TV movie he would write it up and then you had it well, and I kind of feel like uh, Captain Kronos was, sub- it feels like a setup for a bigger thing. It was. You know, the movie. It was, it was meant it, to be. Yeah, it felt like they were setting the table for more movies, maybe a TV show. Um, and apparently it didn't come to pass because the Hammer Brass didn't like the movie. And Yes, it's totally re- true. Yeah, and they released it like two years after they sh- saw it. And uh, apparently Caroline Monroe said she had no idea the movie even came out. <laughs> like the, the promotion was that bad on it. 
Well, it was dumped in England. Uh, they paired it with an English dub of the Shaw Brothers, uh, Wuja Feld and Golden Swallow under the title, The Girl with the Thunderbolt Kick with Wang Yu and Chin Pei Pei. And so it was Great a double, movie. it was always said they double feature with a Kung Fu film, uh, probably because it was swords and blood and they kind of could easily pair them. So in England, it was completely dumped. In America, it actually did okay. I think it was, uh, it might have been, I know Paramount put it out on video. I don't know who actually released it. It might have been Paramount, but they actually did okay with it in theaters. It has, it's always had a pretty decent following in the US. And I remember seeing it on television in the 80s. Uh, Commander USA's groovy movies on USA on Saturday afternoons would show it frequently. And uh, uh, they loved uh, rewriting this. And it was always available on video too. Like I, I always saw mm -hmm. the DVD at the store. You know, it just it was it's never been hard to find. It's never the been... videotape was everywhere in yeah. the 80s. The videotape was in every video store. And it's yeah. just a great time. Oh, by the way, Clemens calls it in the commentary, he calls it Kronos. So, you know, it's like <laughs> Lest we use the word Kronos like the uh, 50s sci-fi thriller with the electrical tower that like terrorizes the country. <laughs> right. Uh, so the film stars Horst Jansen as uh, Kronos, and yes. uh, Kronos. A, who is apparently dubbed, by the way. Uh, that's not his voice you hear. And Clemens uh, was mad about that. He said Jansen was fine in the performance, but Michael Carreras was just being a dick and had his voice dubbed yeah he didn't like and, the film but, he said, you know? but if you watch the takes he said it was fine he was he was just just good no problem with him at all yeah they also dubbed caroline monroe yeah it, who by the way the real star of the movie caroline monroe my goodness oh, yeah. you know like very very uh easy on the eyes and uh yeah, john gorgeous and i love his hunchback assistant professor hieronymus grost played by john cater <laughs> And if that isn't a Brian Clemens name, I don't know what is. <laughs> and and he's like a he's a hunchback assistant who's like the brains of the outfit. Yeah. You know, he's not like Fritz from Frankenstein or something or Igor. Like he's he's very smart. He's just he just happens right. to be deformed. Um <laughs> but you know, and in this movie, Captain Kronos is uh hunting a vampire. There's this the, what one thing the the way you know they're setting this up for more movies is the vampires in this film, when they suck people's blood, they turn them into old people. Like they age them. Right. And uh, they'll like walk past uh, flowers and the flowers die. You see the vampire's a cloaked figure, very mysterious. And uh, Grost uh, looks for, he go, he he's like, he's burying dead toads in the ground. And if the vampire passes by, the toad will be alive. Uh, so there's these weird tests, but he's like, they're like, oh, it's a vampire, but don't vampires do X, Y, and Z? And he's like, aha, there are many breeds of vampire. You know, <laughs> he's very much the Van Helsing of the bunch. Um, so you know that they're setting up like, okay, we're going to fight this kind of vampire, but, you know, uh, next time he'll fight Dracula or something <laughs> like right. that. Clemens said he intended for Kronos to be a time traveler. Like that wagon would travel through time and he would be in different realities and worlds where he could use a samurai sword and so he'd that. go to japan or so like that indicates he's right. been to japan because captain kronos carries around a katana and so yeah i was watching this going okay you know we have the scene where the guys are mean to to grost at the bar and then he's like hey my horse don't think it's funny you laughing at them and yeah. uh so he like you know 
like does the weeb thing where he's like, you know, you've never debated a man like me before. And he pulls out his katana and kills him, which I think that scene should have come right. earlier in the film just so we could see how cool he is. It's like 40 minutes in. I think we should have gotten that like just full of dollars, like early on just to see how what a what a bad MF he is. But um, but, uh, right. you know, but we get that scene. And so I went, OK. On the spaghetti western to anime pipeline. We're about midway. <laughs> you know? right. uh, I was watching this movie going, oh, I see where Vampire Hunter D got all its ideas. Because yeah. you have the vampires in those. Uh, I, I don't know about the. I can't remember if it's in the first movie. But in the second movie, you see the vampire flying through the city. And, mm -hmm. and the city is full of crosses. And as he passes through the crosses, the crosses all go. They all break. To, right. and, the, and it reminds me of how the vampire passes through the flowers and they all go wither up and die. Like there's all these yeah, visual yeah. ideas with this mix of uh, even his sword at the end, when he pulls out his blade and you see the reflection of the vampire's eyes and the sword, that was a very mm -hmm. vampire hunter D moment, even with the sword being curved. And I was I watching think the movie did. It did. Okay. In Japan, I think I, I hammer movies did very well in Japan. Yeah. Well, you know, like uh, if you uh, play the the original Castlevania for the the, the NES or the super, or the Famicom in uh, Japan, uh, the credits mm -hmm. are all Hammer horror jokes. You know, <laughs> like it's like Dracula yeah. played by Christopher B. <laughs> um, you know, well, like like it has all these for references. Years, for years, Hammer fans would always uh, talk about how they'd heard these bloodier sexier versions were released in japan so japanese prints of hammer films were like a highly desired you know is catch for a lot of they were holy grails for a lot of hammer fans is there any truth to that i think it's one of those those weird autistic things like um dracula's meltdown and horror of dracula is two seconds longer or whatever okay. you know it's that sort of thing but apparently it was some truth to it like there were some versions that were a little bloodier or a little, I don't know if they were sexier because I think the Italians and the French got sexy versions too, mm. so, or in Germans as well. But I'm, um, you know, uh, one of our, one of our listeners, Holger is a big hammer blog guy and he, he knows a lot about him and he might, you know, send us notes correcting us or whatever. But in, in my experience, there is some truth to different versions of the hammer films being slightly different and depending on the market. Like I've heard, Frankenstein and the monster from hell apparently there's never there is no there doesn't seem to be a true version of that anywhere hmm. you know that was one of those that was always you know because it's it's um back then they would cut different versions for the markets depending on what they needed yeah so just like the golden harvest movies like they're going back at the hong kong stuff and they're saying why are there four or five versions of this golden harvest film it's because because raymond chow and leonard ho were real big on cutting different versions for different markets there was no such thing as the director's vision they'd laugh at that these are oh yeah made no, to make money you know? that didn't come around till that was post like new hollywood thinking you know yeah it's like 1990s laser disc thinking yeah <laughs> you know? like, yeah it was, it was just, kind of a it was a home video gimmick, honestly, to sell home videos like, oh, Ridley mm -hmm. Scott's director's cut of Blade Runner, you know. Right. Um, He's a, a the final version, really. This time yeah, we mean this the time. Final version. How many versions of Blade Runner do you own? Four? Well, there's one more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
You've got he the shot work extra footage. He shot new footage for it. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, but this movie, uh, you know, we were talking about the Japanese. I, I could feel, you know, I went, there is so many ideas from this in anime. But I also felt like uh, the original Blade takes a lot from this, too, um, because it's a swashbuckler. Yeah. And you even have mm-hmm. a swashbuckling finale, which Horst Jansen actually and uh, the the villain who plays the vampire, I forget his name, uh, they were both uh, doing all their own sword fighting. There's no doubles, apparently, in that. Yeah, and they had apparently a top sword fencing instructor, choreographer working on the film who worked on other like famous British lens swashbucklers. And apparently like it was, there was top-notch talent working on this, even though supposedly... They always claim that they had like no budget or whatever, but no, they they actually had some top flight talent working on it. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's an impress. What what did you think of the action in this movie? Uh, do you, what? How do you think it uh, stacks up? I think when you watch it, you have to see it as because um, obviously, if you compare it to something like Blade or Blade <laughs> Two, it's not gonna it's not gonna seem like much, or no. even Brotherhood of the Wolf. It's just which I think this also inspired oh, Brotherhood of the Wolf. I was gonna know. bring that one um, up too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and even the beginning of Brotherhood of the Wolf was totally reminding me of Kronos when I saw it in the theater. I was just like, okay, yeah. the girl's out picking flowers in the forest or whatever, whatever the hell she's doing, and then the creature comes along and gets her and stuff. It's 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 pretty obvious, but um, I, I think when you watch the the action back in those days, like if I watch the old Avengers TV show, I'm not expecting the fight scenes to be up to the level of you know a Shaw Brothers movie or a Jackie Chan or Sammo Hung thing it's like they they did great for the time and the what they knew about choreography at the time and uh, and they work within limitations like you've seen assault on precinct 13 the carpenter film right oh of course yeah many times now the action scenes in that are really weird and stylized and i think it's because he didn't have much of a stuntman team so he had to kind of film around the using stuntmen and basically having actors doing things and it just gave it a weird vibe and feel. And that's that's kind of what is going on in Kronos. Like there's no like major stunts, but the the action is interesting because it's different. You know, yeah. having a, a guy with a samurai sword, a katana fighting like, uh, you know, guys using, you know, Western foils or whatever you call them, sabers. Uh, you know, it's just like, it's a little weird. <laughs> it's well, and, like, and, and, and it's probably hard to choreograph that because the swords are used differently. Yeah, and you've got you know. the guy wearing the like English European robes sporting the samurai sword i mean how many anime films have you seen that in you know i mean it's just such a common sight i do wonder how popular this was in japan i don't know if there's any way to find out i i honestly i was watching it going i i don't know if you can uh estimate i mean because i think a lot of it made its way into anime and then it influenced other stuff and it's like but i i think vampire hunter d is the most direct thing i see um because the vampires are sort of similar in what they do and he's a vampire hunter uh and his right. you know his mother his parents were like killed by vampires and he's out for revenge and uh vampire hunter d have you seen those movies i saw the original the first one when it was released on videotape in the early 90s in america and that's the only one i've seen and the, the newer one it bloodlust is very good i i really like that okay. movie uh yeah i like the original too um the original's a really cool piece of 80s sci-fi japanese horror but uh but d has a a, a parasite that lives in his hand and he has this face coming out of his hand and it talks <laughs> to him and tells him oh. stuff and 
and helps him. He's in the first movie and he's there, but he has a really bigger presence in Bloodlust and he talks to him and he's very much like Grost in a certain way, like helping him out, helping him out of jams, you know, figuring out what to do. He's kind of his his conscience a little bit. <laughs> but you you also get a lot of Kronos like preparing. He's like smoking yeah. like Chinese hashish while meditating and exfoliating. <laughs> <laughs> and doing all these like rituals and it kind of builds everything up like how cool it's going to be you know, right. when he finally when you finally get him fighting and i think they do it for a little too long like i think we could have gotten some action a little sooner because they build it up a yeah. lot but but it's also fun the way they kill vampires in this like there's this one vampire they stake him and they're like oh this isn't going to work and we have to hang him in his chair first and <laughs> It was kind of like uh, killing a Rasputin. Yes. That's what it, that's what it felt like. They, who they... knows where Clemens was lifting his ideas from? Yeah. You know, he, I... uh... Well, you know, there's a there's a Hitchcock movie, Torn Curtain, where it takes forever for Paul Newman to kill this Russian uh, secret secret service spy mm -hmm. or officer and or, or whatever he was supposed to be. And it takes him forever to kill him. And Clemens lifts from Hitchcock liberally and he admits to it. He says he steals for the best. He he takes a lot from Hitchcock, and I, I wonder if that may have inspired that scene. Maybe, like it, yeah. It's incredibly difficult to kill this vampire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, what'd you think of uh, Caroline Monroe? Uh, she's gorgeous. Um, as, a, again, she's dubbed in the movie. She, I think, she, I don't know if her real voice was ever used in anything, um, but I believe she was dubbed in the film, and I don't know if it was because of her performance or Carreras was just spiteful like, about the film. Who knows? Uh, but she's gorgeous. She looks like, um, you know, she's like Raquel Welch. She looks like a like a Frank Frazetta woman brought to life in a way. She like, does. She does. And, uh, you know, she was also in Golden Voyage of Sinbad. Um, yes. And, and a movie we watched recently for a show we haven't done yet, Dracula 1972. Yes. Um but uh oh and spy who loved me mm. you know even the yeah I, I remember seeing her in the film when i saw that when i was like five in a theater i remember caroline monroe's face like you but, just didn't forget her but apparently uh they really wanted her to do nudity in this movie and uh she was like nope not doing it and i think the compromise was have the hair over the the breasts and have yeah. the cinematographer you know do the sort of austin powers like lighting <laughs> on her uh, yeah, yeah. like she, apparent... she was uh she was she was smart you yeah know? she was smart raquel welch did the same thing never did nudity. yeah no it, it is smart and in fact she turned down i think frankenstein and the monster from hell because uh, they wanted her to do nudity and she was mm -hmm. like no not gonna do it um right so you know that was smart of her uh and um but uh but yeah Br brian clemens though uh you know, I was just, I was just looking at his career. What what do you think he didn't direct anything else because this movie was a uh, uh, just didn't do didn't do anything because it was kind of sabotaged by the studio. It probably had a big factor in that. I think also he just he may have not liked or enjoyed directing. I often suspect that was a cause. I think he preferred writing. A lot of writing people was don't. easier for him, and it, yeah, yeah, directing was you know because you know we've talked about this. Why are there so so few women directors and everything and it's because 
you know, you don't want to have to be the asshole who's got to yell at everybody. Yeah. And and not everybody's cut out for that, you know, and not everybody knows that, hey, you can make it fun like Quentin Tarantino, because supposedly his sets are really fun mm-hmm. or Hal Needham, you know, it's like uh, it, it could be like a party. But I think most people think being a director means you got to yell at people and you got to mm-hmm. be the jerk and you got to be the asshole on set, and, you know, because you're the boss. And yeah, maybe he just didn't dig it. I mean, writing obviously was so easy for him with like. God, the, you look at how many scripts he wrote for the professionals, the show he created, and yeah. the quality in, in his script writing is very consistent. With the Avengers, like easily my all-time favorite TV show, even the mediocre episodes written by him have a lot to offer compared to just your average good show in America or even England. I mean, of, of any other series, it's just like he's always consistent. And I think writing was just like he could just crank out scripts as needed. I mean, he was still writing until like the late 90s early double o's i think he wrote like a john larroquette uh there's these series of hallmark mysteries with john larroquette as sort of a perry mason type of lawyer and clemens wrote a script for him like for that show so he's consistent and i think being a director you also have to be kind of a political animal a little bit uh and obviously he didn't work very well with the studio yeah he and Ferreras, i don't think liked each other he wrote dr jekyll and sister hyde which was one of the most acclaimed hammers of the of the 70s and you know that he he does Kronos and directs it, writes it, and then nothing. <laughs> it's just like he and Carreras don't get along, and eh. yeah, and uh, but yeah, like you said, uh, some directors make it fun. I mean, you know, I've I've heard stories about Tarantino like screaming at people, but usually they're the like Lawrence Tyranny or somebody who's just more difficult. Um, yeah, but. Uh, yeah, like being a director, honestly, you can, if you have a fun vibe on your set, you can go, hey, that's, you know, you don't like something. Might be fun if we do this. You know, you just kind of make it like you, you, it's, it's all about that vibe. You know, if you can, if you, cause yeah. I, I definitely have in my line of work, I have to keep it like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Other, otherwise, it's not going to go well. So it's got to be fun and you got to keep it fun. And, you know, you get a lot more bees with honey, I think, uh, in that regard. Um, Right. And, you you know, you're not making high art like Clemens made thrillers. He wrote thrillers and mysteries. And that's what that was his skill. Very funny, quirky thrillers and mysteries. That was his skill. But um, although The Professionals is a pretty serious show when you watch it, it's it's just hard-boiled and it's it's clemens on full testosterone but uh but something like chronos with it's got a lot of weird elements and everything it's it's a it's odd because i realized he never directed an episode of the avengers and he could have any time and he never yeah, directed I, one in fact i actually was under the impression he was directing avengers episodes and i looked and he wasn't um he was just no he created the tone and style and he said you know uh no female victims were are murdered in the in the show there's no police anywhere uh it's all going to be filmed in the countryside of england and small villages and um you know and there has to be a fight at the end and that he just kind of set formula and but he never directed an episode it's strange you know do you think this was influenced by solomon kane at all i wondered about that there is this is more like a Solomon Kane story by Howard than that Solomon Kane movie. Yeah, I was thinking the same it thing. Is. <laughs> it's way more like it, but of course Solomon Kane is a, um, you know, he's like a. I think he's said to be a Puritan. Yeah, uh, it's funny. Uh, James Lafon, when I had the 
when I hung out with him, he told me he believes that Howard intended for Solomon Kane to be an undead hero like uh, Clint Eastwood in High Plains Drifter. Because he like, said there's a description of a of a uh, he had a ghostly pallor in his skin, kind of like myself tonight, but like super white skin, like a corpse. And mm. he, he kind of thought he meant him to be like an undead Avenger or some sort of uh, spectral. But he never wrote enough stories to flesh out the idea. But he believes from the descriptions of Kane, that's what he meant. And so, yeah, I, it's possible Clemens read. I know Clemens read like crazy. They said yeah. he could speed read. His son said he speed read. He would read a book in the morning. He'd read a book in the afternoon. He, apparently, he does. He had some technique where he read sideways, and he could, <laughs> or at an angle, and he could read. I, it's some sort of speed reading technique. But they said he would read like a book or two a day. Wow, you know, and, and well, that's where he got a lot of his inspiration. So who knows? I'm Garth Marenghi, and I'm the only author who's written more books than he's read. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get that damn carrot, Tom. <laughs> uh, i gotta get that they're not selling it at amazon you can only get the audio version at audible and i think you can buy the kindle but you can't get a hard copy so um big garth Marenghi, mark oh dude yeah eric was uh you know, I posted that Guardian article and Eric was like, who is this guy? And then he knew him from somewhere else. He knew him from this other short film that Mike Malloy was also a fan of. So, oh, OK, OK. Yeah. Garth Marenghi, I will say this. Garth Marenghi is the only intentionally bad show show that's like doing we're making fun of bad movies by making something intentionally bad. That's actually funny. It's the yeah, only it thing. Usually doesn't work, but it's hysterical. Everything else I've seen that does that sucks. Garth Marenghi's Dark Place is hilarious, and it it pulls it off. Everything else is trauma, and yeah. then there's Garth Marenghi. Yes, <laughs> like Lost Skeleton of a Cadaver, throw it in the trash. You know, it's sucks. You know, uh, uh, oh gosh, there were some other ones, but I can't even remember. You know, an odd thing about Kronos is, um, like, it, did you notice that the villains, like the uh, the really the really feminine man played by Shane Bryant and then the uh the really kind of masculine daughter or sister who mm -hmm. was uh let me see who played who played her Lois Dane playing mm -hmm. Sarah was like kind of masculine it was kind of a weird <laughs> kind of a strange androgynous effect i don't know if he puts that in as a gag or yeah i i also liked the the vampire deaths in that last scene they're very melty <laughs> it's just, just yeah weird. yeah yeah but yeah, I, I think I think you're 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 right on that uh, with with uh, Kronos. Um, uh, so I know that there's been comics of this. They, they It has continued in comic book form. Are you familiar with those? Are they any good? I've never checked them out. I know they exist. I have never picked them up or read them because it seems like these properties, these IPs get licensed for comic books and they come and go so quick like you'd never once you go to the Seattle Comic Con, the Emerald City Con, like you'll never get a chance to buy one. And then, you know, five years later, they'll end up in some uh, dollar bin at, at at some comic book store out of the way. You know, it's weird. Yeah. And I, I usually find that these movie properties when I, I see cont or continuations of them, they're always disappointing. Uh, what's his name? Uh, what's his name? Lo our friend Lorez. Uh, he was yeah. he posted recently a review of a Batman comic that was written by Sam Hamm, who wrote the uh, first two Tim Burton, the, the two Tim Burton Batman movies. 
Well, he wrote just the first one. They tossed out his script for oh, okay. That was okay. that was tossed. Oh, okay. like it wasn't used at all. I've read it. Nothing in it was used except wow. for the same villain. Okay, all right. Uh, it was I did bad. Not that. It was lousy. And uh, well, uh, Lorez didn't like it. He said the artwork's really hung up on the Batman the animated series. Um, and yeah. he said he said that it's uh, infected with a lot of like kind of political Ooh. junk. Um, all right. And uh, he just wasn't um, he just wasn't impressed. Yeah. Um, yes. But- well, Sam Ham's script was heavily rewritten by Warren Scarin. Warren Scarin, who passed away like the next year. Oh, really? Yeah, he gets a credit. Warren Scarin got enough of a credit, like that the Writers Guild gave him a, a co-writing credit, so he must have overhauled that Batman script quite a bit. Mm. Okay. So, and then I know that um, what's his name, Charles McCown, who wrote Brazil, the Terry Gilliam movie. He um, he he also did a rewrite. He came up with the Joker killed Batman's parents, which now I understand the fans are retconning as Batman hallucinates that the current villain is killing his parents like he sees joe chill as you know whatever whoever, he's going whoever the current guy that's silly yeah <laughs> the, the, you know the fact that we come up with theories like that tells me they need to retire the damn character i think yes. we've seen every Batman story we'll ever see i think we've seen all the good ones we'll ever see time to just cast that character away if you want to keep him around for movies whatever but when's when's the last time there was a batman arc that people were like you have to read this this is gold like what what was the last one like what long halloween or something like you know i believe so it's the only one you hear people referring to um like even I mean, frank miller's last run on it was hilariously awful you know oh he's come out with something like two sequels to the dark knight Lorez mentioned that i didn't even know i mean i knew there was one kind of recent one a few years ago but i guess there's been another one since then there was like, batman and... been writing comics yeah, there was a Batman and Robin thing, and you know it was kind right. of mo- like it was mocked for some of the lines. Well, it was. I think it was intended to be a satire. I think mm-hmm. I had the trade paperback of that, and it seemed to be Frank Miller mocking Batman, like he's got him cursing and yeah. just torturing Robin yeah. to toughen him up. And it's you know, it, Frank Miller to me is not the best Batman writer because. Um, in his Gotham City, like it's always mugger. Batman's fighting muggers and uh, people stealing TVs and stuff. And I'm like, well, you know, if that's your problem, you just need more cops in Gotham City, right? It's like you bring Batman out for the lunatics who think they're penguins or clowns or a woman controlling plants or whatever the hell. Yeah, the weird, the the kind of like in the Avengers to take it back to Clemens' work. Uh, Patrick McNee once described the Avengers as in every episode, the villain is crazy, but we couldn't say that on TV. You couldn't say somebody was crazy. So you just had to portray them as crazy and let the audience figure it out. He says, but every villain in the Avengers was nuts. That man wearing makeup and who has a mustache in a purple suit who is dancing. He must be crazy. (laughs) Right. Yeah. They let the audience figure it out. And the funny thing is Dan or our pal, Dan, who was on the doodler episode, Mm. he said that comic books were much better when they were in, they had two big inspirations, Star Trek, the original series and the Avengers, because you had these hour long uh, episodic, you know, adventure mystery conflicts or whatever with a unique villain and it was resolved by the third act and you know that was the best influence for comic books 
so they didn't get caught into this long continuity and you know oh let's make a reference to 30 issues back and you need to go read that before you, you know he said um what ruined comic books was suddenly star wars was a big hit all mm. kids wanted was star wars so star wars inspires every comic book so yeah. then you're seeing spider-man on another planet and you, you're seeing intergalactic you know you're seeing captain america on a spaceship and all that type of nonsense when you make it too big and too vast you take away the uniqueness of your hero and like when with Star Wars too, you had the interconnectedness of the world. They put out novels right. like Splinter of the Mind's Eye and Shadows of the Empire and all this stuff that expands the universe. Well, right. with comics, it was, you know, I remember reading comics when I was a kid and, you know, comics were already infected with this by that point. You know, you right. had the Clone Saga and Spider-Man. Oh, you want to know what's going on? Like there'd be an asterisk and it's like, check out, you know, spectacular Spider-Man number 108 since then yeah. it had whoever the editor is. Oh, check oh, out Peter Porker annual number five. Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh, oh, you want to know what's going on in this panel? Well, check out Spider-Ham number 58. Yeah. Right. And uh, oh, uh, you know, you don't know who Ben Riley is. Uh, the You know, go back to this, this, that go back to uh, Peter Parker, Spider-Man. There were thousands of <laughs> spider-man books i mean how do you you know you wanted to keep up with the saga you had to buy like 10 issues of a separate book every every month you know yeah. it just it it, it, it was wasn't too much. fun no it was yeah, it, wasn't it was work fun. it was like it was collecting and it just it's not fun when it's like that it and, should be and, pick up your story you get your fun and your entertainment for the week and it was two dollars and know, it was deliberately done i think because of the wizard crowd you know, it, yes. it reminds me of like Frank Miller actually setting fire to a wizard magazine and giving a speech saying this is you ruining our interest, our industry. <laughs> you know? I had no idea. That's hilarious. Yeah. Apparently he did that. He gave some speech somewhere and he set fire to a copy of wizard and said, this is ruining our industry. And he was right. He was um, right. He was totally right. You know, they, there was this emphasis on collecting. Ooh, you know, we have X-Men number one. You remember that X-Men number one? You know, it's like yeah. that. Everything had to be a collector's item, and if everything a collector is a collector's item, then nothing is. You know, very yeah, short-sighted. It's, it's manipulative, and it, it tanked their industry. Yeah, it really tanked their industry, and I, they've never recovered. I've had plenty of people in the industry tell me that the only reason they still publish superhero comics is to maintain the copyrights and the trademarks. It's to establish yeah. that. You know, nobody buys them anymore. I mean, I don't see them at the grocery store. They lose money on them. They lose DC loses money on everything they release. Um, I mean, I would, I, I you know, I I think they just they kind of killed their audience by going for the boutique, you know, comic and, store and audience. writing for adults. Yes. Yeah, yes. writing for adults, and you know, it's you're you're taking something that's a kid's character, and, and you're writing stories for. 30 somethings you and, know, and we've got to aim them at the trendy political stuff of the day um yeah why you know, oh uh you know we're gonna change this character to be whatever this trendy thing is you know oh oh right we're gonna have our first uh our first character who's uh you know non-binary who's it gonna be <gasps> green lantern but not not hal jordan it's gonna be that guy who was green lantern before him that you don't you never heard of yeah <laughs> So, <laughs> right, right. This could be the Earth Five Green Lantern or something. Yeah, nonsense, it, yeah. It, it's something. It's stupid. uh, it's it's terrible. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, and it's only intended to Jordan, by the way. It's still it's. 
I said it would be dumb if it was Hal Jordan. I'm just saying, that, you know, they they would do these big announcements, and then it's like, it's Green Lantern, but the original Green Lantern, not the Green Lantern you fell in love with. It's the the one who actually has a lantern. <laughs> right. <laughs> he wears red, the, yeah. the, the green cape. Yes. <laughs> It, it I, I, I remember when they announced this was years ago i remember they were going dc was going we're going to announce our first gay character who's it going to be and i remember you go i hope it's batman <laughs> <laughs> i forgot i said that thanks for reminding me i always say funny stuff i forget I said. might as well be he's never gonna marry <laughs> yeah you were just like i hope it's batman <laughs> confirmed bachelor bruce wade confirmed bachelor bruce wade <laughs> what bruce when are you gonna get married well well, well joan i'm just waiting for hey, the right lady to be based to come on along. rock hudson and some of those old comics you know oh bruce it looks like dick has been dick is looks looks a little different this week he looks a little more like you oh it's just imagining <laughs> things okay <laughs> okay i want him to look a little more like me when you'd give him plastic surgery <laughs> dick, well bruce wayne know- is liberace <laughs> <laughs> he's turning well, dick grayson know, into him dan, dan had said if you read those 50s comics that are credited to bob kane he says they're loaded with like robin and bondage and he goes it is a gay comic because what <laughs> was totally right and frank miller just didn't want to say it the ambiguously <laughs> gay like, duo yeah that's why <laughs> well that's why frank miller had robin be a, a chick you know frank miller was like oh robin's gonna be a girl you know yeah it was none to of remove that. that that stigma yeah we're we're just we're not going to talk about it brush it under the rug <laughs> <laughs> i wish they'd retire the care of the i'm sick of batman like i'll yeah. watch the old adam west show and i might read some old 70s neil adams stuff but i'm i'm sick to death of that character well to let me, me tell you rip off of let the me shadow tell you. and the spider yeah. and you know well let me tell you in my film class uh, there's always a few days out of the school year where I'll throw on some '60s Batman. It's always a huge hit. Kids love yeah. it. They love it. They think it's great. They love the tone. They think it's fresh. It's fun. I'm telling you, you know mm. that would if if they went in that direction with it, it would do so well because they all eat it up. Nobody's like, "This is dumb. I hate this. I can't take it seriously." Everybody's like, "This is great." <laughs> well, they. They've taken it so seriously that they bore everybody now. It's yeah, just I mean the the Robert Pattinson one. I I was just I was bored to death. So it's dumb. grim. I like I said, if you cut it down to hundred minutes, you might have a decent movie. Might yes, but the way the pacing and the dreariness and the darkness that it's takes a like, long it takes a long, long time. How much longer can you do this? It takes hours. It's it takes forever before you get to like a a, a good Batman moment. You know. Um, yeah, I want Batman which, kicking ass or figuring something out. Like he needs to be solving a puzzle, and you know, and he doesn't do it. Going to arrest some guy and beat, beat up some ninjas or something, or just something fun. Yeah, in this movie, he uses the front door, but he's learning to be Batman. I I've <laughs> seen that so many times. I don't care. I I don't want to see him learning to be Batman. Yeah, so yeah. That was that was something Snyder got right. I know what the hell he's doing. That was something Snyder yeah. really like nailed was he's just batman now we're not doing origin again he's batman and he he's you know branding people so that he can mur- get murdered in prison it's awesome because <laughs> snyder is our snyder actually read read the comics he and snyder lifts 
Snyder yeah, lives. Yeah, he lifts kettlebells, man. Yeah, he that's why film critics stuff. film critics hate him because he does this one simple trick. He lifts weights. <laughs> yeah, that's he works yeah. out. You know, they hate him because he works out. Yeah, exactly. Oh, because Joe Schumacher only worked out on little boys. We already know that. That's true. We know that. <laughs> we know that. Ask uh, Corey Haim. Oh wait. Yeah, can't. Um. Uh. Anyway, back to Captain Kronos. Is there anything we didn't cover with this one? Um. Well, one of the saloon bullies or pub bullies was played by Ian Hendry, the main one, who was the original co-star of the Avengers with Patrick McNee. Really. Yeah, when the first season of the Avengers, which was all shot live, and they only saved, I think, two episodes have been preserved out of like 25 episodes or whatever. Um, only two have been preserved. The show was a very serious, straightforward spy show with uh, Ian Hendry and uh, Patrick McNee. And Steed did not wear the bowler hat, didn't carry around the umbrella, didn't act like um, Sir Ralph Richardson in Q-Planes which was the big inspiration for the later version of Steed. It was a very serious kind of based on Ian Fleming writing type of spy show. And um, Ian Hendry was the co-star. And then he left the series because he was given, there was a, t- a strike at that TV station that produced the Avengers, London Weekend TV or or ABC, whoever it was. I think it was ABC, all, all British, Associated British um, Broadcast Company or whatever the hell it is. But um Ian Hendry was given movie offers during that strike, so he left to do movies, but apparently had such a drinking problem that that career never really went anywhere. So then he showed up, and Kronos, I think Clemens just wanted to kind of do him a favor and give him a good role that he was right for, playing a a drunk bully at the at the pub. Which one did he play? Was he Ratface or uh, Fatty? or? Uh... He was Ratface. He has the long sideburns okay. and the mutton chop sideburns and the nose and, and everything. But By the way, he, the man... He could have been a star in the 60s, but, you know, the, the, the bottle got him got him down, let him down. It's like Colin you Clive, know? you know. Colin Clive. The, the drinking yes. just, just took him out. Uh, Excellent comparison. It's that's that's very same thing. It's just like you become unreliable. You don't remember your scripts, and yeah. you know you're not. Not everybody's Oliver Reed, where they can just they could be out drinking all night, show up on the set, and they know all their lines. Yeah, no, and it's, then it's as soon as they yell cut, you know he's he's got a he's got a drink. Yeah, Richard. <laughs> you know, not everybody was Oliver Reed. He was a different animal. You know? Yeah, Richard Harris, Peter O'Toole, those guys could yes, drink, exactly drink all night. Compete with those guys. Show up and no problem. Uh, but yeah, Colin Clive, you know, you, you can even tell on Bride of Frankenstein, even the, as great a movie as that is, you can tell Colin Clive is uh, just succumbing because he's just so like, oh, leave me to my work. You know, just... he, he wants a, he wants a brandy, you know, <laughs> looks so uncomfortable uh, not being able to to drink. Um, but uh, no, one one thing that's funny about that scene, though, the guy he calls fatty wouldn't be called fatty today. Yeah, isn't that sad and weird? <laughs> I'm way fatter yeah. than that guy is. You know? Though I, <laughs> so am I. The um, this is what what I find funny. And by the way, people on um of our political persuasion tend to do this a lot, and I I, I find it really annoying. Is on Twitter they have a photo what people look like in the seventies, and oh have this yeah, beach of perfectly and it's like people. an ad magazine shot. You know, it's something from yeah. like advertisements. It's like we're all models. They were all model. They had models back then. And it's like yes. I, I remember what it looked like. It's like yeah, people were out of shape too. Nobody worked out. 
you know, they gave into their metabolisms eventually. It's like, you know, we had garbage in our food. It's like, and that was before corn syrup. It's not seed oils. It's just like people didn't look better back then. No, John, if you stop eating seed oils, you'll stop sunburning. Okay. You won't sunburn anymore if you don't eat seed oils. I don't eat seed oils and I don't sunburn anymore. Okay. It, it amazes me. watching this and going, I can tell you eat seed oils, you pig. <laughs> you, you pig. Disgust me, you pig. You seed oil sucking pig. Yeah, where where does the seed oil thing come from? Everybody gets to do a health thing, but yeah, that's nice. that's taken root in the last few years. Uh, you know, I remember hearing Adam Carolla's guy Vinny Tortorich talking about it. Um, but it it he was just like, oh, it's a Franken food, you should probably avoid it. But on the internet, it turned into like it's the cause of all. You know, in health, there's always they they single out one thing that's the problem right there's one thing yeah. you cut this out you're good um and now it's seed oils you know for a little bit it's like you know there's stuff that you probably shouldn't eat like sugar like refined right. sugar like you know that's just bad for you you know uh you should probably limit that but um yeah but there's always like um like you know for a long time it was fat you know right. like oh it's this is low fat it's fat free fat free and then it was carbs then it's uh gluten gluten yes gluten mm -hmm. and and it's like the new like weird online right-wing version of it is seed oils <laughs> you know? yeah the left i can tell you exactly what it is i can tell you what it is it's none of those things it's this and this <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah the phone yeah the, uh sedentary the phone lifestyle. and video games the sedentary yeah. lifestyle like i just re well, a coworker of mine years ago, I remember he was boasting to me that he and his wife watch something like three hours of television every night. And I was kind of raised to see you got to limit your TV watching and you mm -hmm. got to do. Oh, yeah, things. me too. Me too. And, and but they were watching Survivor and American Idol and whatever the hell and some Star Trek shit. And he's dead. He died a couple of years ago. His widow now claims he was the first victim of COVID in Colorado. But it's just but he was overweight and not healthy. And I'm just like, I think that became more acceptable in society because I remember being told when I was a kid, you watch too much TV, you know, get outside and play or, you know, watch too much TV at night or, you know, you can watch an hour, hour and a half. That, you know, OK, there's a movie on, you can watch the movie. But, you know, that's it. But luckily, TV was so boring when I was young. It was pretty easy to to not watch it you know there's so much stuff or, now and or do whatever but, well and with the computer with you you know with everything there's so much stolen focus now yeah um, like it's almost hard to blame people because it's designed to be addictive you know it is honestly it is. like it's it's you know it uh, you know it the will to reject it has to come from within but at the same time you know like smartphones and the internet it's it's all the algorithms are all meant to keep you so it's hard yeah it's hard but you know what it's like working in a casino uh, the things I, I used to work in a casino and the things i would hear oh we pump a lot of oxygen into the room that make and we make the slot machines a certain color to attract women to them yeah like all these yes. things work yes. in your subconscious you get free drinks they, you're more likely to get yes i remember the one time I went to a casino it was for work and we were just like, as a joke, like, Oh, let's play some slots. You know, let's, let's, let's mess around. I'd never done it before. So I was like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. 
the lady comes up to me and is like, what do you want to drink? And I was like, well, just, you know, give me whatever beer or whatever. She comes back, hands it to me and walks yeah. off. And I'm like, hey, 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 hey. I go, what? let me pay you. And she goes, what are you talking about? And I went, you don't want money? She goes, she looked, she looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> I went, she went, no, drinks are on the house. And I went, huh? <laughs> and immediately <laughs> I went, I, uh, for, I, I took a second and I went, oh, they want me to get drunk and spend a lot of money. I got you. So uh, then mm-hmm. I went, then I went, okay, that makes sense. That's smart. <laughs> but no, it's that, that's why they do it. And it's the same thing with smartphones, the internet, everything that we are streaming. You know, it's like now people are seem to be waking up that streaming sucks because I guess they're pulling the plug on a lot of shows they're producing right yeah. now. And, and, you know, and speaking I've of heard, like, heard about shows getting. Oh, I was just going to say, speaking of like, you know, and speaking of food, you know, even food yeah. is designed to make you keep eating. You know, it's even designed to make your brain go, "Ooh, I want another cracker. Ooh, I would like another Cheeto. Ooh, I'd like another chip, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, high fructose corn syrup, I think, is designed to make you thirstier. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. I, I get a burn from it if I drink something with that in it. And I still do every now and then. And then, you know, if I want root beer, I can't always go out of my way to get like the good quality sugar root beer or or the diet root beers I like to drink, you know, because I, I still have that. At least I don't drink regular beer too often. But mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I'll drink it and I'll, I'll get that little weird burn in the back of my mouth. It's like, ah, geez, it's like this corn syrup, it has a bad thing. But I, I think there's chemicals in it to make you thirsty and to keep drinking yeah. and crave that corn syrup sugar and stuff you Mm -hmm. get more of those empty calories that you can't burn out you know yeah can't outrun your calories baby no you cannot it's just like uh i get on my i have to get on my satan's tricycle to keep from gaining weight the schwinn airdyne you know (laughs) that i have to do the uh the intensive uh routines on you didn't get a peloton you know join your online community of trainers you don't you don't I can't type, figure that out. I don't know. You don't you don't why, type in like political hashtags to find your like weird esoteric like uh cult to join on Peloton. <laughs> you know, it's weird. It's really weird because the way I always worked out was always, you know, before I could lift weights, push-ups at night, sit-ups, kind of like a martial arts guy, you know, when I wasn't in karate class, like You're Edward at night I'd try to pop Clark. out 50 to 100 push-ups. We thought push-ups were the key, you know, to everything. You know, we thought we believed in these myths. The Shaolin monks did a thousand push-ups a day, which is nonsense. That you know, <laughs> it's all baloney. But, but we believed it. You know, but I've always been self-disciplined about that, so I never understood things like Peloton and uh, fitness boot camps, mm-hmm. and even CrossFit itself. I, even though I love kettlebells and some of the methods they use, I don't get the whole workout of the day and having some guy who's ten years younger and a hundred pounds lighter with a twenty-five-year-old metabolism telling you oh what to do and to do push it doesn't make any sense to the, me it doesn't connect i'd rather just drives me go run and do push-ups and lift weights on my own i already know how to do that the thing that drives me crazy about crossfit is yeah they'll get a sorry folks at home my dog's just going crazy and he just you know he's he's reached competing with my he, cat obviously yeah he's reached the i'm, I'm sorry my cat <laughs> uh crossfit guys like i'll i'll meet i'll, I'll talk to a guy at work who will be overweight and he'll go like, uh, Oh, um, 
uh, you know, I'm trying to lose weight. I'm talking to somebody and I'm doing CrossFit and I'm like, buddy, you're, you're like pushing 400 pounds. That is going to kill you will, that will kill your interest in working out as fast as you quit, as you start. Um, because like, like I, I've seen this where I'll see these like cut fit guys yelling at some dude who's grossly overweight doing the same stuff they do. Here's your workout for the day. And I'm like, you know, that guy goes home, feels like crap. And then the next day is like, I want to do this again. <laughs> you know, like you need to be starting out doing yeah, something I don't... else. Like they, but they, they have this like right. one size fits all mentality. And I'm sure somebody will hear this and go, oh, you're wrong, whatever. But I've just, I've just seen it be very counterproductive. Uh, yeah. Even when I was much heavier, I had people try to push that on me. And I was like, this is this. I was like, this can't be right. This is insane. Like, <laughs> there's no way this is good for me. I saw it as bad news right away because I think the problem was 300 came out and all the actors in that looked amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, they look like comic book characters brought mm-hmm. to life. Oh, yeah. And they all worked out with a guy who uh, Mark Twight, who ran a gym called Jim Jones, Jim Jones yeah. you know, reference to to uh, Guyana was intentional. And um, he was a kind of an offshoot of CrossFit. Like he left CrossFit and formed his own thing and he used some of those methods. And so that's what increased the love or interest in CrossFit. And you started seeing box gyms spring up all over the place. Cause I was, I was thinking about going to get a certain CrossFit and maybe opening my own box gym just cause I was bored with my job. But you know, the more I looked at the methods and stuff, it didn't make any sense to me. And I said, mm-hmm. this is going to, this is going to burn out. And I don't think it's going to take off. And of course it did take off. It was like a total, it's like the most explosive cult and fitness I've ever oh, seen. Yeah. And I know, I know people and who I have, think... I know people who've got joined it and then like divorced their spouse, left their family to marry someone in CrossFit. You know, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Cause you're there with these kind of, I think people get in touch with their inner narcissist. Oh yeah. And it comes out in the worst possible way. And you're you're gonna be in there with other narcissists so some you're in there and some ripped chick you know she's you know there's chemistry there because you both have the same goals and you're gonna be a match and i don't know i just don't i don't see it as a good thing i you know yeah go for go for a good walk if if, like your your friend or co-worker is 400 pounds overweight hey have some jello lunches and go for a good walk every day for an hour or even two hours and just you know, listen to some decent music or some podcasts like ours and, you know, just kind of or maybe take a little couple of light hand weights and do some power walking or something and just get the calories burning. And then if you can you do as the months go by, you can develop into other exercises, push ups. Yeah, I don't even think you, if you're that obese, I don't think you really need to lift weights. I don't no, think, I think just just do elliptical cardio, you know, body weight, ellipticals, do cardio and body weight. And I think yep. you're, you're good. Just good resistance exercise but and watch your eating and cut back on calories and you know i think you'll see some amazing results uh so anything else we didn't cover on captain chronos we need to get on okay let me uh let me cover here nope i think we got it um this is a very um you know it's it's a much loved hammer cult film it's actually my favorite hammer film believe it or not uh and hammer movies are sort of the odd thing that I keep going back and rewatching ones I didn't like and liking them and then watching ones that I liked when I was a kid and I don't like them. I think I've said this before on the show, but Kronos, I like more and more every time I watch it. 
Yeah. Like it's um, just been a favorite for a long time. Well, it's funny, uh, John, the first time I watched it, I was like, mm, that was okay. Uh, it was okay. Yeah. And then the more I thought about it, I went, that was actually like really cool. Like that may be one of the most original hammer flicks ever, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I definitely, and that was just a few days after watching it, you know, I just went, that's actually a really, really interesting movie. Yeah. There's a lot of untapped potential there, but I don't think, I think the film was setting up something that just didn't come, you know, I mean, well, there's a cool thing like where Carolyn Monroe's character is being stalked while she's sleeping on that couch mm-hmm. and the camera's panning around a point of view. Mm-hmm. And, and it looks like it's, it's almost predicting similar stuff in Suspiria, which was made mm-hmm. a couple of years later. Yeah. With the color absolutely. scheme, the camera work and everything. A uh, lot of really cool stuff in here. And, um, it's a it's a movie you think about more as you watch it. Like I'm like you. I watched the first time. I thought it was just okay. Every time I watch it, I just liked it more and more. And yeah. I got like the Australian Blu-ray. And then as soon as I bought that, Shout announced a domestic Blu-ray, of course, as yeah. as the curse always goes. But uh, the last time I watched it uh, was like I was like, this is my favorite Hammer movie. This is just it gets better and better. And Brian Clemens did something new with vampires. Yeah, it's not the same old Dracula trying to rehash the Dracula story for the umpteenth time. Yeah, you know he's doing something new. It's not these are vampires walking around the daytime and the just all the all the different methods here. It's like a Michael Moorcock Eternal Champion thing in a way. It's got mm-hmm. a lot of that that element. It's just um, it's got a little of that weird Avengers vibe, that swimming in London vibe style wise. It's just, there's a lot to like about this movie, and it, it's one of those that every time you watch it, you just know something new about it that's cool. And Horace Jansen. Highly underrated. A lot of the fan writers kind of dismissed his performance because he was dubbed, but I thought he was a good presence. I would have loved to have seen more, more of the of the Kronos movies if had they made them in the seventies. Yeah, I uh, I I think this movie is uh, very influential, and um, I think it's uh, probably one of the more influential movies you've never heard of. Uh, and certainly one of the yeah. more influential Hammer films you've never heard of. I mean, we know the the Dracula and the Frankenstein ones, and um, but this is one that I think if you haven't seen it, you really owe it to yourself to watch it, especially if you like anime or spaghetti westerns, uh, because you can see a lot of influence <laughs> from spaghetti westerns in it. Like you know that scene at the bar with uh, with uh, Ian Hendry is very much a uh, spaghetti western, you know, type of uh, right. scene that's very fistful of dollars um mixed with with uh, a little zatoichi or Zatoichi, little yeah. zatoichi in there a little chambara too yeah <laughs> but um uh but yeah uh what would you rate this i give it a nine I, I really dig it when i when i first saw it i'd give it a six but now i give it an eight i think it's uh from i think it's a really solid original hammer film um i think uh if you're gonna watch a hammer movie it's very difficult to do better than this um you know it's just i i I would it's one that i would put up there with maybe devil rides out in that uh both this and devil rides out are the two hammer films that i think are most have the most colorful heroes um most hammer films are focus on the villains you have dracula dr frankenstein um you know, the werewolf, the Phantom of the Opera, you know, they're all about, uh, it's more about the monster. Um, yeah. Devil Rides Out, you have Duke de Richelieu played by Christopher Lloyd, who's this uh, sort of, you know. Christopher Lee, uh, Christopher Lee. I mean, Christopher, Christopher, Lee, Christopher Lloyd. Lloyd. <laughs> we got to oh, stop the devil, devil Marty. <laughs> you know? 
Um, yeah. <laughs> um, no, Christopher Lee. Yes, excuse me. Thank you for catching that. Uh, yeah. uh, Christopher Lee as Duke Derishla, who's this, you know, kind of, it's another one that could be a series. Like he's an expert on the occult. He's got to, uh, you know, stop evil from spreading. And uh, my dog is trying to eat my phone charger. Um, here, go chew on my sandal. There you go. Um, <laughs> and in this one, it had you also have a colorful hero, Captain Kronos. You know, and it, that's those are right. those are those are rare things for uh, a Hammer film. So yeah, I, I would give this one an eight. Uh, I think it's a uh, very exciting, fun, original Hammer film that stands out among the Hammer crowd. Yeah, and uh, it was nice to see Hammer you know, try to have a hero that wasn't like a cranky old man, like Quatermass. Yes. Know? Yes. Uh, a lot of times your heroes are the, uh, you know, the Van Helsings or the, um, which, you know, I love Van Helsing, but, uh, right. You know, uh, Professor but, Quatermass or, you know, it's, it's gotta be the, 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 the wise old doctor, you know, um, and you have uh, yeah. <laughs> heroic characters here. Yes. Um, no, this, all right. This is a good hybrid film. This is a yes. good hybrid film. Action, vampires, horror, mystery, some comedy. It's a weird film too. Some and sex. I, it's it's fun. Yeah. And I, I watched this in like the middle of um, October, but I want to watch it again like real soon. I mean, I was that like, oh man, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Like just just a fun fun movie. Uh, anyway, well, anything yeah, to plug, I John? No, you love my Blu-ray. So, yeah. Uh, I did some appearances on Roger Froelian's Then Is Now podcast. You can, I guess, Google that. I'll have to put, throw some links into our group. Uh, but I also appeared on a panel for Dracula films. I'm in there for about 45 minutes because I had to go pick my kid up. So, but I got in some uh, some interesting info about uh, Dracula movies, my opinions, and and what whatnot. But I also covered did a show devoted to Robo Vampire, the Hong Kong rarity, and uh, also Mr. Vampire, the Hong Kong classic. Oh, actually, great. a really good movie. Yeah. So and I and I gave gave you a lot of info about that, but uh, yeah, go check those out. That then is now podcast, and uh, I'll, you Google it, it'll come up. But um, I'll uh, I'll put some links in the in the in the group. Sweet. And join right, our well, Facebook group. Yeah, go check out our Facebook group, and uh, we'll have links to all that in the show notes that I'm sure Stu will put up. But in the meantime, I'm gonna go ahead and me and this demon dog buster who's a gremlin who's eaten after midnight look at him you have to put like jingle you have to put like bells around to, yeah. to alert you when buster's coming around. yeah me and buster will say adios <laughs> right peace out everybody and now it's time for rue britannia with your foreign correspondent the nez In a move that will surprise nobody ever than those who think that Pelosi didn't try to murder her husband, the Indian Prime Minister Rishi Sunak wasted no time in charming the nation by lighting the Awali lights in Downing Street whilst being scolded by a pensioner of nurses pay on a visit to a hospital. As a tax-dodging socialist millionaire, he had to basically sit there and take it. 
Peace, however, on the backbenches currently sits for the time being within the Tory parliamentary party, though not the party of the country. Sunak has no mandate from the British people and the party membership was never given a vote. In short, the grassroots are seething. No wonder why does the Nigel Farage openly flirt with the idea of a return to frontline politics with the Reform Party, which he will. I've heard of the year of the four Roman emperors, but the year of the three Tory prime ministers is frankly ridiculous. Meanwhile, only five is in this metaphorical face, given how it now transpires that ex-Prime Minister Liz Truss, well, it has been, had her phone conversations hacked by Russian intelligence. I don't know just what they expected to pick up from such an airhead, but my guess is that they frankly would have secured very little altogether. Doesn't stop there. The Home Secretary incriminated herself when it transpired that she sent classified emails, uncrypted and unsecured. Nobody really knows if her emails were actually picked up by the Russians in exactly the same way. Then again, it wouldn't be the first time a government minister picked up an MI5 file of their own. These days, I'd imagine it's quite an extensive library of MPs who actually have their own files. Quite disturbing. Give and take. Uh, a member of the public was killed after throwing firebombs at a detention centre for illegal immigrants. Public anger over the 400,000 illegals having invaded the UK in the last two years, though frankly beginning to boil over. Very public-spirited of him. Meanwhile, three Muslims were arrested in Bradford over the course of the week after taking it upon themselves to basically engage in riotous assembly with machetes. Two police officers were injured. Best of luck to the Tories in defending both open-door immigration and illegal immigration at the next general election in two years' time. The nation is clearly lacking more third-world legal and illegal immigrants, and clearly offending machete crime is somewhat of a cultural issue. Honestly. Further notes in passing, ex-Princess Harry announces that he won't be attending the World Cup in Qatar this month. Between that McMarkle and Qatar, it's clearly a choice of a rock and a hard place. Bros opens in the UK and closes in the fortnight. Billy Eichner's hunger strike continues. And Shirley begins his backbench campaign to destabilise Rishi Sinek by flying to the COP27 summit in Egypt, when the Prime Minister decides not to go at all. Maybe Sinek can hire the same guy who effectively tried to murder Pelosi. Pax. Thank you for listening to the Midnight Movie Cowboys. For more information, go to www.midnightmoviecowboys.com. For feedback, comments, or show suggestions, go to midnightmoviecowboys at gmail.com. Like what you hear? Head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Hear us on Stitcher Radio. Head over to stitcher.com and download the app. Want to help the show out? Head on over to www.midnightmoviecowboys.com and hit the PayPal donate. We appreciate all donations of any denomination. Find us on Twitter at MMCowboys. Like us on Facebook. Head over to facebook.com. Type in Midnight Movie Cowboys. Hit the like button over there. Want to friend us personally on Facebook or follow us on Twitter? 
go to www.midnightmoviecowboys.com and find the links from there on the right-hand side. Thanks for listening. See you all next week.